Hey friend, are you swamped with scheduling, bogged down by bookings, or overwhelmed with managing your social media? This message is for you. I would love to introduce you to my secret weapon, StyleSmart VA. This is a company of virtual assistants literally designed by hairstylists for hairstylists. I found them through an interview right here on the podcast, and then shortly after found myself booking a discovery call because I was drowning in administrative tasks and needed help. It's been a few months now, and I can't tell you how much my VA has changed my life. No joke, friends. I am such a believer in StyleSmart VA that I decided to bring them in as an episode sponsor here on the show. Listen, as creatives, our focus should be on the clients and our craft. And now that I have my virtual assistant, I can devote more of my time to exactly that. The beauty of hiring a VA through StyleSmart is that they come to you already trained and able to seamlessly step into your business. From managing appointments and client communications to handling your social media presence, StyleSmart virtual assistants free you up to concentrate on your clients. And that's a change your clients will notice and appreciate. I mean, can we say elevating your perceived value? So when you're ready to level up in your business and take some weight off your shoulders, head on over to StyleSmartVA.com and book a free discovery call today. You'll also find the link in the show notes of this podcast episode. StyleSmart VA, empowering beauty professionals to focus on what they do best. Hey there, friends. Welcome back to the Your Hair Mentor podcast, where I'm your host and your hair mentor, Crystal Green. And this week's podcast episode is special for anyone that watched TLC's What Not to Wear like I did religiously, and uh, especially at the beginning of my hair career. This was something that was inspiring and fun and entertaining. And although Stacy and Clinton, the co-hosts were super knowledgeable and funny and entertaining to watch for me, it was all about the beauty team. It was all about Nick Arojo and Carmen D the hair and the makeup artists. And so what I have for you today is an interview that I did with Nick Arojo. I have to admit, I was like, a little starstruck and he's so humble and so sweet about it. Um, but I had, I've been following him for a while on social media, which is kind of funny in itself because he's Nick Arojo and he doesn't have this huge presence on social media. And yet I know he's very successful. So I found that interesting, but he has been posting some things about, um, finding your niche basically and building your brand as a stylist so that you stand out in a crowd because you have to have something that kind of makes you, you. Okay. And what that does is it gives you a little bit of an edge as to why a client would select you versus someone else. And so I reached out to him and was just like, Hey, (laughs) hi, it's me. Um, I would love to chat with you about, you know, this topic you've been talking about, like, I'm just going to put it out there. Would, Would you like to be on my podcast? And he like responded immediately and was like, yes. And so, um, so glad it was able to come together. And, uh, we talk about that in this interview and also something that, um, I didn't know was still a huge problem because where I live in Reno, Nevada, it's not a huge city. I mean, I'm not like out in the sticks, but, um, my area is like 400,000 people. And so it's not 
huge, but it's big. There's a lot of industry here. We have a ton of warehouses here and business in general seems to have recovered quite a bit since the pandemic. Now he's in New York city and kind of blew my mind with what's going on there because you don't hear a lot of people talking about it anymore and specifically how it relates to the hair industry. So I found it fascinating. I hope you enjoy this as well. Um, and so without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to one of my idols, Nick Arojo. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you. <laughs> I'm having a little bit of like fangirl things going on here. <laughs> uh, no worries. Yeah. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't bother with that. What's that? I said I wouldn't bother with that. <laughs> oh, well, you know, I have to say um, when you were on What Not to Wear and that started was like the beginning of my career. So uh, watching you was really fun because I think it made me realize that it could be a really fun, interesting career too. And it didn't just have to be working at the place on the strip mall. So yeah, no. So I'm like, I'm very inspired and, and happy to chat with you this morning. Um, you know, I had to narrow down my list of questions like quite a bit because I'm like, I have so many questions. <laughs> I have so many things I could ask you. Well, um, ask but true. Wonderful. So, I mean, truly, Nick, the reason why I reached out to you was a post that you made recently. Mm -hmm. um, it was about how to how to stand out in this industry and like find your voice and your brand. And so, first of all, I'm curious, how did you do that for yourself and what did that look like? Because you've you've done many things. Well, I think that, um, you know, when I started my uh, journey in hairdressing, the idea was that I would um, be as good as I could be and try to be the best that I could be. So I worked, thankfully, I worked with a lot of a lot of great people. I managed to get myself in a position where I was working with some of the um, best hairdressers, working for me down so soon. Uh, then working for Weller full-time as an educator. So I've worked with some of the great companies. And for me, the idea was you just have to kind of follow a couple of people that inspire you. Mm -hmm. And then once you, once people started saying that I was just like my idol, was the beginning of me starting to learn how to become me. Because I think that when you start, you need some role models. And I used to follow you know, people that I admired and they became my role models. And in some ways I would mimic them because they were my role models and I liked their style. But as soon as somebody gave me the compliment that I was just like one of my role models, that was the beginning of me starting to understand that it was time for me to be not number two, but to be <laughs> number one and be me. Okay. So that's kind of how I've managed to develop and evolve, you know? And, uh, and, I, and I recommend that, you know, we can teach people uh, technical skills. Um, we can teach people all of that kind of good stuff. But artistically, sometimes you just learn by watching and, and by absorbing and through osmosis. They're the Absolutely. kind of uncomfortable things, you know. So uh, having a couple of idols and people to look up to is a great thing. And it helps to, to do it helps you to develop who uh, a certain style for yourself and then of course you can kind of continue on that journey 
you know, I've never wanted to be a copy, so I don't believe in copying. Um, but, you know, this is a pretty competitive industry mm-hmm. and you do have to create your point of difference. And I think your point of difference really should, you know, kind of uh, be through your, through your work and, and uh, through the style of work that you do. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's an ongoing, um, it's an ongoing process and it never really stops. And certainly even today, we're still trying to reimagine who we need to be because as you get older, the world changes around you and then you have to continue to reinvent yourself, which is uh, yes. work today. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think maybe these days it's easier to find people that are like your idols that you can follow because of things like social media, um, which really was not existent when I started my career. I know it wasn't when you started yours as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think that's why I feel so attracted to you and what you're doing, because for me, seeing a hairdresser on television doing the type of hair that I liked, which you kind of do this like lived in, which I hate that word these days, but lived in disheveled, kind of like undone Mm -hmm. type of hair. It looks very natural. That was so attractive to me because I really did not enjoy precision haircutting. Um, I'm kind of more of a just like get in and feel it and touch it and move it. And that's the type of hair you did. And I saw that and was like, oh, wait a minute. This is something. I kind of like that. Um, so I, I love that idea of following idols. I wouldn't even have said that I did that so much, um, without you saying that I'm like, oh, duh, no, like I religiously watched what not to wear, not to see the outfits, but to see the hair and the makeup too. Like Carmen D's great. And that was fun, but I was more interested in seeing what you did with people's hair. Um, so it's so fun. I, I completely agree with you. Uh, who one of the is... best things, I think one of the best things about the show, just to digress, was the fact that not only did you get to see the hair being done, but you got to see the hair when the person did it themselves. Yes. And that is one thing that we don't get to see. Right. We never get to see our client the following day, you know, right. but I think being able to see your client the following day or a week later when she was at the reveal or he was revealing his look to his friends, you could really see whether you, um, whether you actually did a good job or not, you know, because you don't really know if you've done a good job until you go back and look at it in real life. And in reference to the kind of style of work that I do, you know, my work is very, it's kind of precision based because I came from that kind of that uh, organization, Vidal Sassoon, which is precision based cutting. But I think a lot of the times uh, precision based haircutting can be very uh, unflattering because it's more about the haircut than it is about the person. So by by managing to kind of use a razor and keep your work a little bit looser, you kind of get that precision, which gives you the structure of the haircut, but then uh, the razor gives you that little bit more of that softer, a little bit more casual. So yes. you, get the, you get the structure, but you get the kind of easy breezy type of styling, which is what I, which is yes. what I really Absolutely. I've always enjoyed razor haircutting. Um, although I use a guarded razor, which I know is kind of like. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with a guarded razor. You know, I think it's just the level of comfort. And I think that the most comfortable thing at the beginning is to use a razor with a guard. You know, the only difference with a razor and a guard and a razor without the guard is the razor without the guard is more precise because it, the, the, the hair hits the blade first. A guarded razor the hair hits the guard first and then it slides onto the blade. So 
you know, you're splitting, you're splitting atoms at this point. It's not that, that different. But for me personally, to be able to have a straight blade is much crisper and sharper than a razor with a guard. But mm-hmm. whenever I teach class, I always say, let's start with your guard on and then we'll, we'll work to get that guard off because um, you need to have that comfort level. Yeah, absolutely. I felt like I was wielding a samurai sword when I had an unguarded Uh razor. (laughs) I was like, this is dangerous. (laughs) Um, I caught at some point um, when I was doing a little bit of reading on you before we did this, that you worked for Bumble and Bumble for a while Mm -hmm. as well. Uh, I was for a short period of time a network educator for Bumble and uh, had the opportunity to come to New York to the House of Bumble to do a razor cutting class. Uh, Did you have a hand in that um, being part of their like core training? When I came to America in 1994, the owner of the company had offered me a job and it was Bumble that brought me to America. When I came to America, Bumble did not do any education. Bumble had just launched their hair care products in the spring of 94. And, um, you know, one of the things that I suppose they'd hoped that I would help them with would be education. And they definitely had, um, you know, a desire to get the product into other hairdressers' hands. So I had a very uh, important role in helping to develop the first educational classes for outside hairdressers. And uh, the structure of that then enabled Bumble to kind of grow its uh, wings as it were, mm-hmm. because they already had a strong reputation and Bumble was already known for being a razor cutting company. When I came to America, the one thing that Bumble didn't do is it didn't open its doors to uh, outside hairdressers. So one of the things that we did, and I was a part of that is opening the the, the opening the doors to uh, having hairdressers come in for outside education. We felt that that would be the right way to get people into the space. And therefore, once they're in the space, then they'll touch the product. Yeah. And once they touch the product, they'll take the product back to the salons with them. Okay. And that is exactly what happened. And you were also at a time in the, in the mid nineties where there wasn't so many new brands coming out. Mm-hmm. Whereas in today's universe, everyone's bringing out something new and they have been for years and years and years. So I think it was a sweet spot for Bumble. Uh, I helped to develop their educational program. As we were starting to work on that, I did realize that, you know what, the Bumble dream was not my dream. It was somebody else's dream. And I was just a piece of it. So uh, I worked for Bumble for three years and then kind of moved on to my next uh, venture. You know, yeah, so and, and, and Bumble was a company that I looked for inspiration since I was a teenager. So, you know, it's kind of like a great dream come true for me to move to America and to uh, to work for Bumble. But it was also, you know, a realization that was like, hey, you know what? Uh, we got to start forging our own path. And when I left Bumble, it was all about trying to forge my own way through the industry. And I was in my early 30s then, so I'd already been doing hair for 15 years, so it was time. Nice. Uh, yeah. So tell me more about that. What did you do after Bumble? Um, well, give me, we were, give me a breakdown. I was, I was working for, uh, for Bumble. I was in charge of their education. Um, I, like I'd said to you, I didn't feel like the future was going to be there for me, even though they uh, said that there was a going to be a strong future, but it wasn't the future I was looking for. 
So I broke away with a with a fellow hairdresser from uh, from Bumble, and uh, we opened up our first salon together. It was a partnership salon with me and him were the hairdressers, and then we had a yeah, financial partner. Um, shortly into that journey, realized for me that again that even though I was excited to have my own business, I knew that I wasn't in control of my own destiny because we had uh, you know partners and. The financial partner and myself, we didn't really see eye to eye on the vision and the future of the company. So while we worked together for uh, four years, it was a question of really just working through till I got to the next step or the next door. And the next door was breaking free from that company to open up a Rojo. And uh, when I did that, again, I didn't really have any financial prowess. I didn't have any that much money but I definitely did have a lot of experience and, um, and tenacity and um, knowledge and, you know, kind of managed to navigate my, my future from not really from a financial standpoint, managing to be able to develop and evolve. If you work hard, you make money. If you work hard every day and you don't spend it, you make more money. <laughs> Only but surely you invest it in yourself and you can continue to uh, hopefully grow. Yeah. And we started Erosio in 2001 and, you know, we've been in business for, what, 21 years now. Wow. And so what does the, the business of Erosio do? Well, we have three different companies. Um, one company is the salon side. Well, three different divisions. We are three companies. One's the salon division, one's the product division, and one is the education division. So the three different companies are uh, focused on those three different aspects. You know, the pandemic obviously destroyed most businesses and, and, and damaged my business greatly. So for the last three years, we've been trying to re-navigate and navigate through some really difficult times in an environment where there's really not that much help, especially yeah. not for uh, salons. And there's no, there really isn't that much uh, support out there because people don't really understand what we do. You know, right. when you have a big business that has been built on personal care and then you're living in New York City, which was the epicenter of the pandemic, uh, and now all of a sudden personal care becomes something that, you know, you're not allowed to do because you can't be within six feet of each other. It's pretty devastating as a business owner to have to experience that. But we continue on our journey and see how we go. It's been a yeah. lot of changes and... Uh, you know, it's certainly not business as normal. It's really uh, business kind of like, all right, where, we, where do we go now? How do we manage this process? How do we get to that next step? And what is the future look like? Because the landscape has completely changed. Right. So you have the, the educational side of Erosio. Um, right. I know you do some sort of continuing education series, um, like the Mondays thing, which I want to talk to you about. But do you also have a full-fledged like beauty school where you start yeah. people from scratch? Yeah, we have a fully-fledged beauty school. It's called Erosio Cosmetology. We're changing the name to Erosio Academy. Mm -hmm. We do cosmetology program. We do a barbering program and we do aesthetics program. Yeah, so that's our fundamental school okay. and, uh, that exists. We had two, we're now back down to one. Um, we also do advanced education, uh, and we also do a lot of education to support our product. 
So we are in the in the business of uh, fundamental education and advanced education. And we've always said that Arosho is an education culture company. So mm-hmm. education has always been our core, mm-hmm. you know. But again, as we look to the future, we're looking to see what the changes are going to be. And I think there will be lots of changes. Yeah. So I know a lot of people have uh, talked about during the pandemic, there was, uh, what was the term that was used? It's like the great uh, resignation, right? Uh-huh. You heard that term where um, it's like 15 to 20% of people in all industries left and never came back. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's what played into part of maybe your salon. Like, did you have stylists that left the uh, industry and didn't come back? Or was it just more no, like the I- customers <laughs> that weren't there? I think you have to look at New York in its own uniqueness because it is. Okay? Yeah. yeah. Number one, it's the most expensive place to have a business. Number two, it's a vertical city. So it's a small footprint, but we live floor on top of floor on top of floor on top of floor, you know? And, um, you know, what do you need to, to have a salon, you know? And the other thing is, number three is, you know, most people who live and work in New York don't come from New York. It's a destination point for many, many people. So, you know, if I go back to uh, the week of the pandemic and when they start with this whole pandemic stuff and shutdowns, you know, a lot of hairdressers went back to where they came from. Mm. They never came back because you go back home for two months. Why are you going to come back again? You've just been home. You've given up your apartment. You've given up all your stuff. So you had phase number one where you lost a lot of ha- a lot of people that, were from different parts of the country. Oh, okay. That was number one. Number two, you know, you're literally almost four months before you can get back into work. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people decided that, you know, four months to reflect and think. And I'll tell you what I believe. I believe people were still doing hair at home. So as soon as you do a client at home, you're never going to send that client back to the salon. The client's going to give you $100 or the client's going to give the salon a hundred dollars, you'd be a fool to not take the hundred dollars yourself. Right. Yeah. Right. So I, think, I think that that happened. Also people, you know, collectively connecting together, knowing that maybe it was their chance. You know, a lot of people opened up new businesses here because guess what? There's so much empty space. Mm. And people clamoring to fill the empty spaces. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you want to open up a salon on the second floor of a building, there's loads of empty spaces now on the second floors of buildings. Yeah. So, so we lost about 40 hairdressers, you know, when we when it was time to come back. Wow. And then and then the number the the, the final thing is clients are still not back in the city. So yeah. they're already gone, you know. I mean, like we're we people have no idea with the business that we're in is the relationship business. The minute the relationship's broken, you've lost your client. Yes. Clients yes. are very loyal. But mm-hmm. clients are not that loyal that if there's a pandemic and they're not going to get on the train to go to a city where you're not allowed to, to be around people because you might end up getting COVID, right. you know, whatever right. it may be. Yeah. You know? So unfortunately, it yeah. was um, devastating, you know. Wow. And even, even today, I mean, like, you know, people, there's less than 50% people coming into work and those people of the 50% that are coming into work, they're only coming in two days a week. Wow. So you're talking about a massive, massive uh, population shift. Right. And when you have that kind of a population shift, you know, you lose all your clients. 
Do you keep in contact with any of the stylists that might have um, left New York City to go back to where they were from? And do you have any idea, like in those communities, has there been kind of a boost in salon business and industry because of that? Do you know? Well, I, don't, I don't keep in touch with any of my stylists because I'm too busy trying to navigate my business. And once you go, you go. Yeah, okay. I, I'm trying for small talk. Um, and I also know loads of salons in this country that are in the suburbs, and I know that their businesses bounce back pretty strong. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if, I've got a, if I've got a salon in New Jersey, and all of a sudden the people that worked in New Jersey came to the city to get to work, and now they're not coming to the city to work, they're going to go to salons in New Jersey. So right, right. Logic. I believe in logic. Yeah, yeah, no. The reality is, is uh, salons in the suburbs have fared better than salons in the in the inner cities. Right. Most inner cities today in this country, yeah, dealt with the pandemic in a way which was devastating for business. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are now crime ridden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're dangerous. Right. And the mentality is, is why bother going into a city which is dangerous and disgusting, then I can just stay locally. So, you know, we're like, you know, salons in these inner cities are, have been completely forgotten and no one's representing them. Wow. And it, is, it is what it is. Wow. So have you seen a change in the amount of people that are applying for beauty school? Uh, like with your program or? Um... Again, I not statistically we're about even from what we were last year and the year before mm. you know um the school business is a very different business mm-hmm. um you also have to understand too that having a school in soho the square footage is is more expensive your rent's more expensive your cost of living for your students more expensive the, we've had students start, and then because they have to travel on the subway, they don't want to travel on the subway, so then they quit. Mm. So what used to be attractive is less attractive today. What right. used to be attractive was a great inner city, vibrant, busy, you know, all of that great stuff. You know, New York used to be the city that never slept. Right. Um, they put it to sleep for uh, three, three and a half months, and they're still trying to get it back open again. Trying to wake back up. Man. Well, I will say there's one thing going for, uh, hopefully, city salons is that the salon industry in general right now is experiencing, I think, kind of an elevation or at least like looking like there's an elevation in the industry where uh, it looks like you can be quite successful as a hairstylist based on what you can find on social media and what people are putting out there. And I think it's more attractive now to people coming into the industry than it ever has been. Why? Um, maybe Why? it's a facade, but I, I know there's a lot of young people that it's, it used to be kind of this like, oh, cute, you're a hairstylist, good, good for you. And now it's like, oh, well, that's cool. That's interesting. I hear you can make a good living making a hairstylist. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that'll help kind of boost people to kind of come back yeah. into I don't think area. it's going to No. <laughs> You know, unfortunately, I think reality, you know, Um, yeah, social media. Do you believe everything on social media? Those people that are doing so much social media stuff, why have they got so much time? Right. Yeah. Yeah, truly. Why have they got so much time? Right. You have a million followers. Right. And you're still promoting content all day, every day. Right. Where's your business? You know, that is such a good point, Nick. Um, 
because it's easy to get lost in, even for myself, like I'm, I'm doing this podcast and I've got some online courses. And to me, sometimes I find someone, they've got 500,000 followers and it's like, oh, that's a kind of a big deal. And then you go to your page and you've got 60,000, which is not nothing, but in terms of like popularity on social media, that wouldn't, you wouldn't bat an eye at that as like a huge deal. But I know that you do great things and that you're very successful. So it's not a real reflection of success in the industry, right? Um, so well, I must- I at the very beginning of this whole social media stuff, and I understand the eyeballs are eyeballs, but whose balls are they? <laughs> <laughs> what eyeballs yeah. are looking at this stuff? And yeah. I've seen a lot of successful people on this. It's no discredit to them, but if you build your profile on social media, you build it and you have your viewable eyeballs and that can be a great thing but perception can be so much more than the reality mm-hmm. so, oh if i've got a million followers it means that every class i do i'm going to be sell out every class because i'm so popular yeah i've seen, I've seen that not to be true mm-hmm. yeah. while i think social media is a massive tool and something that we have to utilize and we use and we have to do all of that great stuff it's changing so fast mm-hmm. And in some ways, it's not good. Yeah. yeah. Because in some ways, it's like, are we really focusing now on talent or are we focusing on things that intrigue you? Right. And if you click on social media today, the caliber and the quality of the videos on the reels are spectacular. Spectacular. That yeah. someone like you and me, we can't create right. unless we say, I'm going to. You either hire somebody or I become a very incredible visual creative, which means that all I'm doing is doing that content. Yes. Yeah? Yes. That content doesn't necessarily pay the bills. Right. So I don't know that you can say that the more followers, followers you have, you shouldn't be reflective of how successful you are. Right. Younger hairdressers focused on that because that was where their that's where their opportunity was. Right. Yeah. Imagine that your career is a conveyor belt and it's one hell of a long conveyor belt, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it all depends on where you are at the conveyor belt and what's, you know, where you get on and you'll have your moments of exposure and you'll have your moments where you have to reinvent because, you know, the best song in the world, you play it enough times, you won't want to play it again. Yeah. Yeah. Another great song. Yep. Yeah. song. And I think that when it comes to careers, that's what we've got to look at. I think that social media in some ways has devalued some people's careers. Because yes. the landscape changed so much. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it all depends what you're looking for and uh, you know, I mean, I just I, I I obviously try my best to do social media. I think it's important, it's critical for the business, but uh, I don't think it's the uh, the only thing. And it's not just like the only tool in the in the toolbox. You know? Right, right. Yeah, it's hard to build true relationships with people on social media. And that's what our business is, like you said, is relationships. So I can't get through every post enough to answer, you're answering everyone's thing and doing this whole thing. It's like, that just doesn't inspire me. Yeah. When somebody writes to me, I'll write back a quick thing, but I ain't got the time for that. I'm too busy doing business. Right. You know? Yeah. So 
you know, you talk about um, New York is almost, you're like kind of disenchanted sounding when you're talking about um, life and business in New York. I'm curious, do you see yourself staying there long term or what no, are your feelings? No, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't know if I'm disenchanted, I'm just realistic. Yeah. Good point. Good point. It's nothing disenchanted. Uh-huh. I mean, be realistic. You can walk out on the street right now and you'll see instead of there being 100 people that you can see, you'll see 10. Wow. But the rent didn't change. <laughs> okay. The rent didn't change. The bills didn't change. In fact, they've all went up. Oh. You know, and the cost of business has gone up. So it's the reality. Yeah. yeah. And you want to go and have a look and see how many famous hairdressers in New York City have gone out of business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go and check it out. You'll see how many have gone out of business. Mm-hmm. Because it's impossible to um win. We're in a low profit business. Right. Right. Okay. You don't make a lot of money. Is that your studio? You have a studio there. Yeah. Yeah. You're controlling your own destiny. Right. Yeah. My studio's a hundred times bigger than that, a thousand times bigger than that. Mm-hmm. And my destiny is based of all the employees that work here. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a very different animal as you grow, develop, evolve. Yeah. And when somebody pulls the rug from beneath you, which mm-hmm. is what happened, mm-hmm. then, you know, you've just got to try and navigate and deal. Yeah. You know, New York will always be New York City, um, which is obviously an exciting thing. And I've lived here for 28 years and it's been a great, great journey. And, uh, yeah, you've got to keep your eyes open for the future. Mm-hmm. You're doing the same thing and it's not working plus plus you know you have to think about what inspires you what i want today maybe isn't what i wanted 10 years ago right and what i need today maybe isn't what i need was what i needed 10 years ago so you change in life mm-hmm. the landscape changes in life no matter what and you navigate your future as best as you can mm-hmm. as it stands today my future still here in new york city mm-hmm. yeah but uh, I don't have to die here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, you have a product line as well. You said that's part of the the Erosio business. Do you, yeah. um, well, how long have you had the product line? And then do you well, feel like that helped you kind of stay afloat during all of this? Uh, none of it really helped me stay afloat, but all of it stayed, helped me stay afloat. Okay. okay? Uh-huh. None of it, and all of it. Yeah, the fact that I have three different um companies meant that you know I had more than just one leg to stand on Mm -hmm. so where one maybe faltered more than another you know that was good because I had other things to to help support okay Mm -hmm. um product I've had it for 12 years you know again you have a company that talks to professional salons and you sell to professional salons and then all the salons are closed then guess what happens? You don't have that much business. Gotcha. So again, every salon in the country was shut for a period of time. Mm-hmm. And that damaged the business. Plus the touch point, the physical touch point, no one was traveling. So that also damaged the business. So the product is, is you know, a completely separate business. And um, it is a fantastic business, and I really thoroughly enjoy it. I have two different lines of product, a Rojo product, an American Wave. But I still feel like, you know, obviously, um, we're still continuing to navigate through the uh, the challenges that, that happened. Right. Once you lose those relationships, salons went out of business. If yeah. a salon went out of business, then I lost 
that relationship yeah. to that song. Right. right. Yeah. So, you know, that was a hit. But, you know, we're still doing well with the product. We're in business. We're still pushing forward, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. And I'm proud of it, to be fair. Yeah. I feel like, you know, we've done a phenomenal job and we'll continue to do a phenomenal job. You know, I'm not in competition with anybody. I'm just focusing on how I can navigate forward and, and work through this very challenging time mm-hmm. uh, in all of these businesses, whether it's products, whether it's the salon industry or whether it's the school business. You right. Know, this is a challenging time for all business. And it's right. a very challenging time for a business like ours because, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's less density of people. There's less frequency of visit. There's less, mm-hmm. less and less and less. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the challenges with hair products, hairdressers are not very good at selling hair products. They don't really care so much about that. Um, there's always a reason why you're not successful. They usually blame it on Amazon. Amazon is kind of like a bit of an evil monster. Yeah. 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 The, 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 the world will not live without. Okay. Right. So it's a bit like, you know, we used to say 10 years ago, diversion, diversion, diversion. Mm-hmm. Nobody even mentions the word diversion anymore. No. Okay, it's completely redundant. So I think in today's universe, you've just got to look at trying to, you know, build your fan base and people that fall in love with your product. And you've got to, you know, um, you know, stay focused on how you're going to do that. And whether it's selling to professional salons, independent hairdressers, uh, some retail stores, a combination thereof online. They're all the areas that you have to focus on and you cannot turn down a channel. Right. You turn off a channel, you're limiting your chances of surviving. So you and do sell direct to consumers too? Of course, I've got my clients. Okay. Every salon sells direct to consumers. Right. I mean, like yeah. you, you don't just use like the exclusivity of the salon to then sell it to a client. You Do you allow clients to order like from the website to what buy products? I mean, I would guess so, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, you know, don't close down a channel. Right. You know, everyone's got, people have opinions, yeah? And their opinions, everyone's got an opinion. Uh-huh. You know? But it's like, who cares? <laughs> who cares oh, don't sell it, you know, yo, you can't do this and you can't do that. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What's one, one of the most successful products in the world? Coca-Cola. Right. Yeah, going to every bar. You're going to get a Coke and they might say, oh, we've got Pepsi. Right, right. Everyone's selling it. Yeah. So it's like, you know, oh, I'm not going to drink Coke because everyone's selling Coke. You know, yeah. I mean, like, at the end of the day, when you're in the product business, the idea is, is you've got to make raving fans. Raving fans as hairdressers, raving fans as consumers. And if you can do that, then you can, can continue on your journey with your product. Yeah. If you can't do that, you can't afford to stay in business. Yeah. And the cost of products now have doubled. So a product used to cost two fifty three dollars It's now $6. Yeah. Mm. So the economy of scales doubled. And, you know, usually when things get tough, all of the smaller companies get crushed. Right. With big companies survive. Mm-hmm. And who's the biggest company in the world? L'Oreal. Yeah. Yeah. L'Oreal's the biggest company in the world. Right. And what did L'Oreal do when it was really good during the pandemic? It was great because they sold hair, home hair color kits to everybody. I know. Right. Yeah? Right. So... And they're a professional company. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, let's just, let's just move forward and not worry about what other people do. Just focus on what you do. Right. Focus on how you can create success. Yeah. You know, 
Yeah, my job in life is not, oh, I'm just going to be, there's no such thing as professional hair care anymore. Right. I know. It's all muddled up with salt together. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hair care. Yeah. yeah. It's hair products. Yeah. It's hair products. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If we really care about professional, you know, yeah. then all of your hairdressers want to buy Dyson blow dryers mm -hmm. because they're retail blow dryers. Yep. But a lot of hairdressers got behind Dyson. Yeah, I did. I bought it. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I know. Uh, have you seen that new style of uh, hair dryer and curling iron and flat iron that's come out from, I believe it's called Hair Buron? No. You heard, heard of this technology? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it seems too good to be true what they're oh. promising, but they're massively expensive. And it's like 700 to a thousand dollars per tool depending on which one you get and they're supposed to make the hair healthier nice. and who knows but i'm such a sucker i'm like oh interesting <laughs> you know what i say it's too good to be true i know i know but i thought that about dyson and then i ended up getting one i'm like you know i do like this dyson blow dryer um well, Nick, yeah. Uh, have you considered uh, stepping into the online education space at all? Like, does that interest you at all? Because you don't do anything online currently, right? It's all in-person education. Uh, we, we were like, I think that we were one of the pioneers for online education. If we go back, you know, 15, 20 years ago, we were, we were ahead of the curve. We had strong online presence with our subscription. Really? Yeah, in the beginning of uh, probably from 2004, uh -huh. 2005. So we really, you know, we kind of was at the forefront of that, I felt, and was doing a very good job. But then, you know, what happens is, is you focus on other things, and then all of a sudden what you just did was becomes a little bit old, and I'm seeing what's going out there right now, and I just feel like, and you know, we have a digital studio that we can do online education. We do do online education. We do live classes online. Mm. You know, we, we, we have all of those things. We've really, you know, supported that, but we've not gone into the subscription-based business model because I think the competition's too much right now. Yeah. And I think you've got to have a sweet spot. And I also think that you've got to think about where you're going to be and what's going to inspire you and where do you put your energy. There's only so many hours in every day. So we have um, really over the last two years done a lot of research. We've done a lot of recording. We've done a lot of stuff for that. But, you know, I've decided that I've not been ready to jump into that pool of online education. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like you would be so charismatic to watch in classes. I feel like... I understand that, but you can chase it to the bottom. Yeah. 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 What do I mean by chasing it to the bottom? You know, all of a sudden you're like, say it's $30 a month and you sign up, it's $15 a month. And, you know, there's, how many catalogs are out there? You've got the behind the chair catalog. They've got loads. They're kind of controlling that domain. It's different hairdressers. They've got that, which is good. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be bothered competing in that arena. Plus, uh, it's not like I'm trying to, do, I don't want to do everything. Yeah. You know? You don't have the time to do everything. So I've learned over the years, it's better to try to just focus in on what you want to focus in on. And mm -hmm. then, you know, yeah. and that's where we're at. Uh, and it's not that far away from us. Mm -hmm. I could put a digital education on the platform tomorrow. I've got probably a year's worth of uh, educational haircuts and st stuff already filmed. Right. Um, 
and we did some very exciting classes online, which we continue to do. But, you know, one of the biggest problems is we're giving all the education away for free. That's one of the biggest challenges. You mean other people are giving it away for free online or? Free online. Yeah. Yeah. Our skill. Yeah. I understand it's good to give and I've been a proponent of that, but I also think it's important that we don't just give away everything. Right. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Pay the bills. Yeah. While I'm doing all this stuff, giving it all away, I'm not making any money. Yeah. So. So given all of this um, information, I'm curious, I was going to ask this question anyway, but now I want to know specific to your area in New York City, how do you coach your new stylists that you're training in your beauty school to start their businesses? What would you say is like the most important thing they focus on as they venture into this world? Getting clients. Yeah. It's simple. Mm Mm-hmm can't have the ability to get clients, what's the point of being a hairdresser? Right, yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, uh, you've got to go up, you've got to wake up every day and say, it's my responsibility to build a client. It's not the salon's responsibility. Yes. It's it's your responsibility to get your client. Mm -hmm. Our industry is going through a major transformation. Mm -hmm. We're at a moment in time where, the last five years, independent hairdressing has really taken a major influence and it has diminished the uh, amount of salons that have employees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the, the phone or the personal device has made as, and social media has meant that, you know, anybody can be found anywhere. And there's complete accessibility. So in the in the good old days, you'd build a clientele, and if you left, you'd lose half your clients. Right. So stick around. Yeah. Today, you know, people build a clientele and bounce as soon as they've got some people. Right. Yeah. Which is very self defeating for salon. Yeah. Salon ownership. Yeah. So one of the biggest things in our industry now is that we have this big mix of independence and autonomy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You also then mix that with the labor laws when you have employees. The labor mm-hmm. laws are very, um, uh, you know, they're impactful. Mm-hmm. You know, the hourly wage is, is impactful. It's high. You've got to train your, you train your employees. It costs a lot to train them. Yeah, you got to provide health insurance. You got to provide all of this magical stuff. <laughs> and, at, and at any point, your investment can leave. Yeah. The whim, the whim of themselves. Yeah. So, you know, I used to say to get one great hairdresser, you'd have to train ten. Well, now, you know, you, you train ten. That one great one might leave within six months. Mm-hmm. So now it's a very difficult prospect. I think the industry needs to have a self-reflection moment. I think so too. I I don't know that this trend is going to stay because it's, yeah, okay, it's great to go out on your own and be your own boss, but not everyone is cut out to be their own boss. You know, they might be really creative and wonderful, but they might miss the leadership and... No, you don't think so? I mean, because here's the thing. So I'm independent. I have my own studio. I really miss 
some salons that I used to work in for the camaraderie and the idea sharing and just the social aspect of it. And if I could find a salon that I felt was a, you know, my, my vibe, I would mm-hmm. probably go work there. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't, you'd, yeah, you'd probably rent space then. Right. Right. That's true. And, and that might be because where we live um, in Reno, Nevada, there seems to be more booth rental. That's kind of more common in like smaller cities and suburbs, right? In larger cities, they tend to be more commission or um, employee-based salons, right? I think all that's changing. Really? I think all that's changing. Mm. Yeah. Man, it's kind of sad. Like I, I have these romantic uh, memories of, you know, big thriving salons where you walk in and there's just this like energy in the air of everyone doing hair and everyone's feeling great and getting pampered and um, salon suites are quiet. They're awkward, quiet hallways, you know, full of people doing their own thing and these closed doors. Yeah, I've, I've, I've never been a fan and I'm still not a fan. Yeah. One believes in the suits of the future. I think that, you know, independent hairdressers working together is the future. Mm -hmm. That's what I believe is the future. Meaning like booth renters or like people collaborating to own salons together? No, I mean, uh, I I think let's get rid of the word booth renter because it sounds so disgusting. It does, I agree. (laughs) I think independent artists working in environments that allow people to be independent yeah, mm-hmm. able to be independent, but uh, also um, provide the uh, the framework for camaraderie mm-hmm. and connectivity. So we have a salon in Brooklyn that we are transitioning. It's called Studio. It's a membership, and it will be exactly what we're talking about. And we'll oh. see whether we can develop that concept and see where that goes. Okay, meaning I like. Do believe in- I think people should work together. I think it's important for you to work together. I don't like the idea of being on my own, my own little room on my own. Mm-hmm. I'm not inspired by that. I think we need to be around each other. I also think from the environment and the, you know, it's great to have creativity around you. Yeah. yeah so I do believe that the memberships, uh, a membership club is coming and, uh, and I, and that's what we're trying to create. That's what our goal is and our vision. I love that idea. So clients pay a, a membership fee to belong to that salon or? Hairdressers. Hairdressers pay to be a member oh. of an environment that they can then rent space in the wow. environment for their own business. That That's is fascinating, Nick. Oh my gosh. I love that idea. That's so that's very, it, yeah. Taking away all the walls. And let everybody become a member, and uh, they have to join. And when they join as a member, you have the you have the ability to at least um, edit what you like and what you don't like, and you can have a code of uh, a code of ethics, rules of conduct. This is how we what we're cultivating, and I think in a respectful, cool environment with everybody independent, I think you get the best of all worlds. And that's really where I think the future is. I think that's really, really fascinating. Um, yeah. I've not heard of anyone doing anything like that. There's wow. a few people out there that have been doing this, and I yeah. think you know, they've been doing it pretty well. And uh, obviously, nothing's new. Everything's borrowed. The mm-hmm. question is, is how you put it all together. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. It's like you can go into the same store and you can put clothes together differently than the one way I would. So in our industry, we just can put things t- together differently and make it like maybe just that little bit more unique for, for your idea and concept. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, that is so awesome. Um, I just have one more question for you because... No the, problem, because I got one more, one more client. I'm not going to okay. them my client. Okay. Let's do it. All I want to know is what does time off look like for you? Because it sounds like you don't have any. I don't have any time off. I work yeah. seven days a week. Yeah, so I don't really, I don't look at my life as a, uh, I don't look at it like there's a job and then there's off time. Mm-hmm. I look at it as just a job and I got lots of stuff to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, work-life balance, I don't know what that is. I think if you, uh, if things are going really good, you don't care about work-life balance. If things are going bad, maybe you might care about what they call work. <laughs> yeah. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, it's like what floats your boat. And for me, um, you know, I've been very fortunate that I've done really well out of this career. And even though these times have been difficult, uh, you know, we're navigating forward. And, you know, you learn to love the the, the difficult times as much as you learn to enjoy the the successful times. I don't think you're fortunate. I think you're you're driven. Well, I'm driven, but you never learn when everything goes well. You learn when things don't go so mm-hmm. well. So look for the, I look for the, I look for the good in the challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, listen, my happiest moments are when I'm with my family, and my kids are happy, and uh, you know, you're only as happy as your least happy child. So that's <laughs> how I. That's how I operate my life. I'm going to write that one down and use that for later. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for chatting. Oh, yeah, I have kids. Yeah, I have a five-year-old boy and an eight-year-old girl. So, yes, it's so true. If the five-year-old boy is not happy, the whole family is not happy. (laughs) There you go. There you go. It's been a pleasure chatting to you. Seriously, like major pleasure. Um, you are you are inspiring. Uh, I knew you were driven. I knew you were talented, but I did not know you were so driven. So um, thank you. I'm going to tidy this up and post it. I'll share it with you when I do. And I'm excited to see what you do with this membership based salon. I'm uh, I'm very what happens. Yes. yes. All right. Video. Okay. I'm gonna go look it up. Thank you so much, Nick. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Ah, that was so good, right? I feel like that was such a great conversation with Nick. And, you know, to me, I feel like it was really obvious that he's used to speaking in front of people and talking to people about his business because of the way he carried his conversation. Um, Definitely have a little bit of imposter syndrome when I'm talking to him. I'm like, what am I doing? Who am I talking to? But um, still made it very relatable. So um, I really enjoyed that. I hope it was helpful and um, entertaining for you a little bit as well. And I wanted to tell you, if you have any suggestions for podcast guests, I'd love to hear it, whether they're a hairstylist or an entrepreneur or whatever, just shoot them my way. I would love to hear suggestions. I'm always reaching out to people and finding new people that are doing really interesting things. Um, I do try to relate it back to the beauty industry in some way, shape or form. So I'd say that's my only caveat, but that's the world is our oyster friends. So um, with that, I would love for you to either email me, uh, crystal at yourhairmentor.com 
Or if you're listening on Apple podcasts, go ahead and leave me a review. And in the review, you can put a suggestion there and I'll see it. It gives me like a little ping when someone does that. And of course, as always, if you're listening to this podcast and you enjoyed it, tell your neighbor, tell your friend, um, drop me a little review star, whatever you're listening on. If it's a thumbs up or a star or a plus sign, um, it really means a lot to me. And thank you for listening. Um, I wouldn't be here without you and to all eight of my listeners. I hope you have a great hair day and I'll see you next time. Okay. Bye. Hey friend, Crystal here, and I've got something special for you. That's too good to miss. Introducing the wildly popular confident conversations bootcamp, where we unlock the three secret stylist skills that attract clients who pay. In just three classes, we'll transform how you communicate, connect, and turn every conversation in the salon into a formula for high-paying clients. It's not magic, it's mastery of words, presence, and the kind of confidence that turns heads. So why sign up? Because mastering these skills means more than just full books. It's about crafting a career that's as rewarding financially as it is creatively. We're talking quality clients who value your expertise and are happy to pay you for it. And the best part, it's completely free. You heard right. It's my gift to you, friend. So if you're ready to elevate your behind the chair game and attract the clientele you've always dreamed of, this boot camp is your first step. Spaces are limited, and trust me, friend, you don't want to miss out on this transformation. So head on over to www.yourhairmentor.com to secure your spot today. Let's make sure that your talent is undeniable and your chair the hottest ticket in town. Cheers to clients who pay and a career that slays. I cannot wait to see you at the Confident Conversations Bootcamp, my friend.